Welcome everyone, my name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm delighted to welcome you into a worship and into a, the study of God's word with us this morning. Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma, I hope it is springtime and beautiful where you are. Uh, God bless all of you. Open your Bibles to John chapter 7, still in the message series entitled Passionate Questions. And this morning we have very interesting questions too actually to look at uh, that you'll find as a primary theme in the gospel of John and I want us to take a look at these together today. How many of you, when you were kids, ever remember a Viewmaster? Remember Viewmasters? Uh, I, I'm sure that those are really lame today. Uh, but, but, but in my day, that was like Nintendo or Wii or, or something. Viewmaster was as high-tech as it came. Uh, a little, uh, it's like binoculars. You had an eyepiece for each eye, and you would look through. And, and when you look through, you would see 3D pictures. I, I know, guys, forgive me. It sounds lame. It, it was a thrill growing up redneck. Um, it had these little wheels you put in, and, and you would spin the wheels. I had the Grand Canyon as a kid. I, it was just, I, just, I don't know how I had the Grand Canyon. But I, I would put in my Viewmaster, and I would flip the switch, and it would change pictures. And, and again, the pictures would appear 3D. It was magical and amazing. But let me ask you, how did it work? Do you remember how it worked? Why did it work? Yeah, it, when you pushed the lever, the picture would change. But why were you able to see a fuller, deeper picture with a Viewmaster? Anybody know? Yeah, it had to do with the fact that each of your eyes, there was an eyepiece for each eye, and each eye is given a, a different picture, slightly different picture. But when your brain receives these two different images, it tricks the brain into seeing in three dimensions. It's really kind of a neat trick. It, honestly, it's still worth playing with. Uh, by giving you two different pictures, two different perspectives, it caused you to see deeper and fuller. It caused you to see in 3D. Now, this is what I want you to think about as you come to the Gospel of John with, the, with, with me this morning. Because in the Gospel of John, there is this theme. It runs through the whole Gospel, and I challenge you to read the Gospel of John and, and look for these twin themes, these two perspectives on Jesus. And it has to do with, number one, where he comes from, and number two, where he's going. Where Jesus comes from and where he is going, it runs through the whole Gospel of John. Now, I remind you, John is one of the a few Gospels that doesn't start with a Christmas story. John does not tell you the Bethlehem story. He knows you know it. Instead, he begins his Gospel with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You understand? He's trying to help you understand where Jesus comes from. Bethlehem, yes, but more importantly, Jesus comes from the Father. And all through the Gospel of John, he weaves this constant theme of where he comes from, comes from the Father, and where he's going. Where is he going? Back to the Father. He comes from the Father, returns to the Father. And it works like the Viewmaster. If you can possibly keep both of these perspectives in your mind, if you can possibly continue to realize where he comes from and where he's going, then your picture of Jesus is fuller and deeper. I would go so far as to say you cannot understand who Jesus is if you do not understand where he comes from and where he's going. So read the scripture with me now. John chapter 7. Take out an ink pen. Take out a pen if you would. I want you to underline every sentence, every phrase, every place where it has any question or anything to do with where Jesus comes from and where he's going. Okay, so listen for that. Where Jesus comes from where he's going in John chapter 7. Some of our students are in the habit of standing out of reverence for God's word. You can do the same if you choose. John chapter 7, verse 1. 
Verse 25. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Okay, understand, the whole crowd, everybody knows that the religious leaders are planning to kill Jesus. Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how can he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he'll simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. Where'd they get that? Verse 28. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. But I know him. Because I come from him, and he sent me to you. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going. Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews in other lands? Maybe he will even teach the Greeks. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going? Skip down to verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He's the Messiah. Still others said, But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they're ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then... Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing, he asked? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. The word of the Lord. Take your seats. In in this particular message series, we're looking at passionate questions, questions that arise in the stories and the episodes uh, that that have to do with those final days, the the walk of Jesus to to Calvary. Uh, This morning is, is different because the burning questions in this text sort of never get asked. That's the strange, the the ironic thing, that that these questions are are burning, but nobody just comes out and asks them, or at least they don't ask them with any kind of seriousness. And and worst of all, they never ask Jesus. They never ask the question that they need to ask. Where does he come from and and where is he going? They, They just never ask the questions that really matter. 
I, I love to preach weddings. I love to counsel couples, and, and I, do, I do quite a lot of it, actually. Uh, it's really funny. Whenever a couple comes in to get married, I'll always say, I, I'll marry anybody, and I will. I'll marry anybody if they will uh, agree to sit down to three, four sessions of premarital counseling. Now, this is not because I'm a great counselor. I'm not. I'm just not, but I have just found that it's really important to sit a couple down and just help them to think through some very important things. Now, now here's the truth. Every time a couple comes in and I say that, they'll say, oh, Brother Tim, we'll be happy to do that, but now we've talked about everything. They always say that. We've talked about everything. We are soulmates. We can finish each other's sentences. We've talked about everything, but we'll come in and talk with you. Yeah, they do. And what do I discover? They haven't talked about anything, apparently ever. All of those long, long nights on the telephone texting to three in the morning never amount to real communication, apparently. This couple who's talked about everything never mentioned that he was married before, just never came up. Or the fact that she owes $5 trillion in school loans just never came up, just never came up. Never came up that, you know, he likes to clip his toenails at the table. Just never, ever comes up. It's amazing what people never talk about. Uh, Honestly, it's staggering that this couple who apparently has known each other so long and they can finish each other's sentences and and they talk all the time. They just may talk all the time, but never, ever manage to ask the questions that really matter. You understand? It's a real devastating lack of curiosity that they've never bothered to ask those questions, the real questions. Why do you think that is? Because it's not just couples getting ready to get married. Honestly, it's all of us. We have this tendency not to ask the questions that have real value. And my hunch is it's for one simple reason. Sometimes we don't ask the question because we don't want to know. Sometimes... We don't want to know what the answer is. I heard a pastor talk about being in a restaurant, uh, eat, eating a meal. He's had a cup of coffee, and he actually, after his meal was over, opened up his Bible, just opened up his big old genuine leather Bible right there at the restaurant and, and was reading. Uh, a lady sitting at the table behind him saw that he was reading his Bible, and she said right out loud, why are you reading that book? Why are you reading that book? Well, she said it kind of snarky like that, so he gave it right back to her. He said, I'm reading it because I don't want to go to hell. That's what he said. I'm reading it because I don't want to go to hell. And she said, oh, surely you don't believe in heaven and hell. He said, of course I do. Are you telling me that you don't? She said, no, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I don't believe in heaven and hell. I believe that when you die, your candle just goes out. That's what she said. I believe when you die, your candle just goes out. Pastor said, that's really interesting. I find that really interesting. So if you believe that when you die, your candle just goes out and you're dead, obviously you don't believe in any kind of God. You don't believe in God. She said, nope, I don't believe in any kind of God. Your candle just goes out. So if you don't believe in any kind of God, that means that when you die, you're just dead and and there's no heaven, no hell. There's no judgment. You never have to stand before God and and, and answer for for your life. She said, nope, that's right, nothing. Just candle goes out. So if you never have to answer for your life, the pastor said, "That, that means you can just live any way you please. She said, yep, that's the best part. He said, where did you get all of this? Where did you learn this? She said, oh, I read it in a book. 
He said, what book? She said, um, I, I really don't remember the title. He said, well, that, I, that's interesting. Who's the author? Who wrote the book? She said, I don't remember his name. Pastor said, well, did he write any other books? She said, I don't have any idea. He said, so let me get this straight. You, you are willing to sort of roll the dice with, with your soul on the basis of a book of which you don't remember the title and you don't remember the author's name or whether or not he wrote any other books. You, you would base everything, risk everything of eternity on the basis of a book you don't even remember the title of. She said, I, I guess that's right. He said, sweetheart, can I tell you something? I think you're making it all up. I think you're making it all up. Because I think it's too difficult for you to imagine that there is a God who has a claim upon your life. I, I think it's too difficult for you to imagine that there's a heaven and a hell and that this life really has eternal significance. I think that's something you just don't want to face. I think the preacher was right about most everybody you know. Uh, unfortunately, it's the true, truest thing you can say about most everybody you know. People have this, this devastating lack of curiosity about important things, about the things that matter most. Now, right now in the middle of, of the NCAA tournament, people I know are on the edge of their seats about who's going to win and will my bracket be busted. And honestly, there are people who, who are really, really uptight and really interested in all of this and amazing because it's a game. It's a game with zero eternal significance. None of it really matters. It's entertainment. It's a pastime. And yet there are people who will talk and actually bet money and they'll put everything up on the basis of a game like this but have basically zero interest, zero curiosity in things that have eternal significance. And I'm telling you, that lack of curiosity is devastating. It's just absolutely devastating. But at the same time, not all that different from the very people, the crowd that surrounded Jesus back in, in the day when he walked and, and talked on earth. The scripture says the crowd was divided because of him. Obviously, some people believed and, and some people didn't. But those who did not believe, they have this tremendous lack of curiosity. It's amazing how they just never ask the questions. They will not ask the questions that honestly would lead them to belief, the questions that would help them to understand who Jesus really is. They do not ask those questions, and I would simply argue that the reason they don't ask those questions is because honestly, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. They don't want to know any more about Jesus. They don't want to have to make up their minds. They don't want to think that there is a God with a claim upon their life. I, I seriously think that they don't ask the questions because seriously, they don't want to know. They just don't want to know. And yet at the same time, the, the, the scripture continues to turn around this whole issue of where does he come from? Where is he going? Nobody asks, and yet that's all they talk about. It's all they think about. Who is this man? Where did he come from, and where is he going? They just don't ask. Why don't they ask? I think there's several reasons, really. I said it's because they don't want to know, but it gets more complicated. Let's talk about it. I think they don't ask in the first place because, honestly, they really already think they know everything. They really think that they know everything, and therefore they have very little curiosity. That They don't ask the questions because they think they know. 
We've got a lot of school teachers in our congregation. And I promise you, ask a school teacher, who's the toughest kind of student to teach? It's not the dumb kid. We were all dumb kids, and we managed to learn something. It's not the dumb kids that are difficult to teach. It's the kid who thinks that she already knows everything. The person who thinks that they know everything, it's very, very difficult to tell them anything. Have you ever had a teenager? People who think, sorry guys, people who think they already know everything, people who think that they know, therefore you don't have to tell them, they just simply are very, very difficult to get along with. And the crowd in this story, the Pharisees, religious leaders, honestly, they think they already know everything. And it's the great irony of the scripture, they don't know anything. They don't know the things that they think they know. Notice the big glaring place there in the scripture where they say, well, I think the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, ain't he? Supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's what they say. I'm telling you, how ignorant are they? For the scriptures clearly state the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem. Verse 42. Well, duh. They don't know what they think they know. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They don't know that, but they don't have enough curiosity to ask. They just stand back assuming that they already know. And since they assume that they know, they're never going to learn anything. They're never going to ask a question that would lead them to deeper knowledge. They don't know anything. But stand there assuming that they know everything. And honestly, it's pretty hard to go through your whole life thinking that you know everything. But some of us are doing a pretty good job of trying. It's hard to go through life knowing everything. Honestly, the only way you can do that is to play the game the Pharisees play here. And that is, if I'm going to be right all the time, I've got to make everybody else wrong all of the time. So notice in the scripture how the Pharisees constantly have to explain the other people who don't agree with them. And they have to explain them in terms of, well, the crowd, they're foolish. The crowd, they have a curse on them, the Pharisees say, so they can't understand anything. Nicodemus, he's just somebody who hasn't read the scriptures very well. And on and on they go. They have to explain how everybody else is so wrong so that they can always be so right. It's a very, very heavy burden, you know, to walk around life knowing everything. Worst part is, that is the burden that will take you all the way to hell. Because if you think you already know, you don't ever ask any questions. Therefore, you never ever find out the true answers. It goes deeper than that. It's not just that they think they know everything. They think they know the scriptures. These guys really think they know the scriptures. And that's devastating. Because they don't. They don't even know the scriptures. Again, they're at the bottom where he says, uh, look for yourself. You'll see that no prophet ever comes from Galilee. Well, of course they do. Go back and read the Old Testament. Jonah came from Galilee. Well, that would be one. And there are several others who came from Galilee. They don't even know their own scriptures. They stand here as teachers. They stand here as people who know everything. And they stand here as people who know what the Bible says. And they don't even know what the Bible says. But since they think they know what the Bible says, of course, that delivers them from the obligation of ever having to read it. And that's probably where a lot of us begin to sound like a lot of the Pharisees. As pastor, if there's anything at all that I could teach you to do that that would make a real difference in your life, it, it would be to teach you to read your Bible. 
There is life in this book. But you don't really understand that. I would not embarrass you by asking you to raise your hand or anything, but, but, but it's amazing how many people in this room and in the sound of my voice don't even have a Bible in, in their lap, don't even have an open Bible as we read the Bible. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? That all the Bible that you need is going to be on the screens for you? That all the Bible you need, I'm going to read to you, and then you'll come back next week and I'll read you again? What are you thinking? That somehow you've read it all, and therefore you don't have to read it again? What are you thinking? There used to be a lady that lived in Woodburn, and honestly, I loved her, but she drove me nuts because she always quoted Scripture. Problem is, she never quoted Scripture. She just quoted random stuff and said, it's just like the Bible says. And she'd say, it's just like the Bible says. A penny saved is a penny earned. And since I'm the preacher, when I go visit her, she quotes the Bible all the time. But it was never the Bible. She never quoted the Bible. It's just like the Bible says, once a man, twice a child. I don't even know what that means. But it's not in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. Oh, my goodness, she did it all the time. It's just like the Bible says, early to bed, early to rise, make some in. No, the Bible doesn't say that. My goodness, she's never read the Bible. It's obvious she's never read the Bible. She can quote Ben Franklin, and she can quote her grandparents, but she can't quote the Bible because she doesn't know it. Some of you right now are saying, I don't read the Bible because it's boring. I don't read it because it's boring. I'm telling you, if you think it's boring, you've never read it. I promise you, you've never read it. Never read it. Well, I've read all them stories. If you think you've read it all, I'm telling you, you, you haven't. You haven't. And if you think you've read it and gotten everything there is to get out of it, you really don't know what you're talking about. The Pharisees have this real problem because they really think they know what the Bible says. And that's why they never ask important questions. They think they know what the Bible says. And they don't know what the Bible says. They have no idea what the Bible says. If they ever really taken seriously what the Scriptures say, then they would know that the Scriptures point to Jesus. They would recognize who Jesus is. They think they've read it, but they've never, ever read it before. One of my favorite preachers says, at the beginning of every sermon, when you say open your Bibles, half the congregation says, here we go again. Here we go again. The preacher said, all those people saying, here we go again, they've never gone the first time. You think you know what the Bible says, but you don't read it? You're a fool. You are a fool. You have to read the Bible. And you can't think that once you've read it, you don't have to read it again. There is life in this book. Pharisees think they've read the Bible. Therefore, they don't manage to ask any questions of importance concerning the Scriptures. And they will die in their ignorance. The difficult thing for for many of you is really going to be the last thing I would say here about why they don't ask the questions. Truly, they don't know God. They don't know God. And Jesus says that. He says, you don't know God. Now, why this is complicated is because Jesus says that in verse 28. And look back at verse 28. Where is Jesus and who is he talking to when he says, you don't know God? Verse 28, where is he? While Jesus was teaching in the 
temple. Okay, so don't miss this. It's very, very important. Jesus is talking to Jews. Jesus is talking to a a religious audience. He's talking to the Jews, not just any Jews. He's talking to Jews in their temple, talking to Jews in their temple on a holy day. And what does he say to them? You don't know God. That's really interesting and complicated. I know it's complicated because a lot of us have been raised and trained to think that the Jews have this special relationship with God. And honestly, the Jews as a nation have had a very prominent place in salvation history. And they are God's chosen people in the way that God chose to work all of his salvation, bring the Messiah through the Jewish people. It's absolutely true. They have a unique place in salvation history. But when it comes to salvation, they do not have a unique place. Once Jesus comes with the Messiah standing in front of them, they suddenly have the same offer that the whole world has, the offer to come to salvation through Jesus. There is one way to the Father, and it is through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's why he stands in the temple speaking to the Jewish people, and he says, you don't know God. And he can say that with full confidence because if they knew God, then they would know him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Several years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention got into a big stink with the secular media, which which we do pretty well all the time. But the issue at that point was a, a very simple pamphlet that the North American Mission Board had printed up. It was a prayer guide for how we can pray for our lost neighbors and friends, how we can pray that people will come to know Christ What got us in trouble was this particular pamphlet was written about how to tell Jews, how to tell our Jewish friends and neighbors about Jesus, how to lead them to Christ. That's always a very, very difficult topic because immediately you're branded as some sort of of Jewish hater or some sort of prejudiced denomination, and that's what they accuse the Southern Baptists of, somehow being against Jews, hating Jews, and wanting all the Jews to come to Jesus. In other words, we must hate the Jews. Do you understand that, how tremendously they're missing the point. We're not talking about not loving Jews. We're not talking in any way that the Jews are any different from any other people in the whole world. And that's the point, that they aren't different. When it comes to Christ, there is one way of salvation for Jew and Gentile, and they have to come in through the way of Christ. He is the only way. He is the one who comes from the Father. And if they knew the Father, they would know him. Do you understand? They don't know God. And that's why Jesus stands right here in the Jewish temple speaking to the Jews. And he says, you don't know him. If you knew him, you would know me. If you knew me, then you would know the God who sent me. Do you understand? They've got to learn to know Jesus. Everybody has to come to know Jesus. Because he is the one, the only one who has come from the Father. He comes from the Father and he returns to the Father. That means he is the only way to the Father. The only way to the Father. You cannot get to heaven. You cannot get to the Father by being a good person. You're always going to overestimate the goodness in your own life. You won't get there by being a good person. You don't get to the Father by going to church or or, or even joining a church. The only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is by way of the one who came from the Father and returned to the Father. His name is Jesus. The way, the truth and the life. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. It means you could be very, very far from God. 
That's why it's so devastating in your life that you don't ever really ask questions that would help you understand where you are in relationship to the God who made you. It's devastating that you don't ask these questions because until you learn to ask the real questions about who Jesus is and who he is in your life, until you learn to ask those questions, you will die in your sins. So the crowd was divided, the scripture says. The crowd divided. There were different groups of people and different responses to Christ. Some believed. It's beautiful how some believed. It's strange when you read about the, the ministry of Christ, how a lot of those who actually believed were the sinners, the, the outsiders, the ones who would not have been allowed to come into the temple, the ones that the religious folks wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. It's amazing how quickly they believed in Jesus. They simply believed and loved and followed him. All of the ragtag bunch, they followed Jesus. The religious leaders, the people who thought that they didn't need any kind of forgiveness or grace, those are the ones who remained very far from him. Now, they were religious, and they were at the temple all the time. Understand that, but that didn't add up to salvation. It does not add up to salvation. They did not know Christ. They did not know God. Therefore, they were still in their sins. They were non-believers, even though they were religious. It's interesting, though, how there's a particular kind of non-believer who becomes a really, really bitter, bitter, uh, mean person. And the Pharisees were this way. For all of their love of religion and all of their attention to the law, it really doesn't seem to bother them at all. They have no qualms of conscience about their intentions to kill Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They can accuse him of all of these laws that Jesus may or may not be breaking, but it never occurs to them that their intention to murder him would be a sin. They actually never really ask questions about themselves, their own sin, their own souls. They just love to apply those things to everybody else. It's interesting how mean and and angry and bitter a person can become when they don't know Christ. Sometimes some of you come to church and and you listen to a message or you see or hear something pertaining to God and you get really mad. You get really mad. I just want to help you understand this. Your anger may not be related to me. It may not be related to the church. You know how so many people come into church and they just get mad and leave and they'll tell you some reason why they're mad and, and why they can never come back to that church. Honestly, I really think it comes down to what you see in this In the scripture, the crowd always divides. But the dividing point is Jesus and who Jesus is. I think the reason some people get so mad in church is because they're under conviction. They feel that spirit of Jesus speaking to their heart and asking them, asking them to to believe and surrender to him. And a person who will not surrender to Christ often becomes a very, very difficult person to get along with just suggest to you, if you're one of those people who comes to church and you just get mad, you hear preaching and it just makes you mad, it's probably not the preacher, it's probably not the church, it's probably the fact that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and you will not open up to him. The crowd divides over Jesus. Some people believe Some people refuse to believe. Some people try to just stay confused. They never really ask the important question, where does this man come from? Where is he going? 
You ever heard of a prophet called Theudas? Didn't think so. But he was a real guy. I don't make this stuff up. Theudas was a, a, a prophet, a teacher who actually lived in Jerusalem and uh, came before Jesus by just a few years. Just a few years before Jesus' ministry, Theudas uh, taught and, and, and worked around Palestine or around the same area that Jesus covered. His name was Theudas. He was claimed to be a Messiah, the Messiah, and people believed in him. He attracted actually quite a lot of followers. Many people believed that Theudas was the Messiah, and they followed him, and they listened to his teaching. In Theodos' teaching, he offended the religious leaders. Does this sound familiar? He offended the Jewish religious leaders, and so they made plans to arrest and and kill him. And ultimately, they did. Theodos was put to death. Why have you never heard of him? Because when Theodos died, he died. Do you understand? He died. He died. His followers scattered. And Theudas now disappears into the dustbin of history. See, it's not so much that Theudas lived and taught and people believed in him and the religious leaders got angry and killed him. That's not so much the point that matters. What matters about Theudas is is where the man came from in the first place and, and where he was going. Theudas went to the grave and stayed there. You understand? Jesus came from the Father, taught, had disciples. Religious leaders were offended. They put him to death. He died on the cross. He was buried. And yet he returned to the Father. He rose from the dead, returned to the Father. His disciples did not scatter. They became believers Not so much while he taught, not so much when he died, but when he rose again, they became believers. And they began to preach and proclaim what they had seen and heard about this man who came from the Father, returned to the Father, and is himself now the way to the Father. Who is Jesus? In some ways, it's the plainest, simplest question that we can ever ask in church. Who is Jesus? We can ask that question. The problem is there are people who think they know. They think they know who Jesus is, but honestly, in their lives, they've never really asked that question with any kind of seriousness. They've never really considered who Jesus was and where he came from and and where he is now, where he is gone. They never ask those questions That if Jesus truly was who he claimed to be, then what does that mean for my life? I understand that if Jesus is telling the truth, that this is ultimately important. If Jesus was not telling the truth, if he did not, uh, if he was not the son of God and did not rise from the dead, then honestly he was a liar and what we're doing doesn't matter. What I'm preaching really doesn't matter if he wasn't who he claimed to be. But if this is true, it can't just be a little bit important. It can't be mildly or moderately important. If what we preach about Jesus is the truth, then this is ultimately important. And your lack of curiosity, your unwillingness to ask serious questions, your disbelief is going to be devastating. 
Pray with me. Jesus, we pray to you because you live and because you reign and because you are at the right hand of the Father now. We pray to you because you are Lord. And yet, Lord, so many of us pray to you. We take your name. We even call ourselves Christians. We have a copy of the Bible in the drawer by the bed. We come to church and we like to think that we've heard it all before and that we know it all. But, Lord Jesus, truly, there are some of us who come to church and yet our hearts are far, far, far from you. Some of us, Lord, come to church and yet we don't even know you. If we knew you, then we would know who Jesus is and what claim he has upon our lives. Lord Jesus, there are people in the sound of my voice who have not yet stopped to ask the questions that really matter. The most important question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Lord, I pray that those in this house, those in the sound of my voice will begin to feel your presence and the heavy conviction of the Spirit upon their hearts and Lord, I pray that they will respond to you, that they will learn to believe, and that they will learn to love you. Lord, I pray that those who hear the, the scriptures read and proclaimed in this house, from this house every week, Lord, I pray that these words will not be dead words, but living words, words that cut, words that convict, words that save through the power of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the religious folks in the world who continue to file in and out of churches and mumble their way through hymns and snooze their way through a sermon and go their way home with no idea how lost they are. Or Jesus, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you will be present in this house today, present to save, present to convince, present to convict. Lord, I pray that those hearing these words will believe and so turn to you and be saved. I pray these things in your loving name. Amen.